enjoy the journey. Don't forever be worrying about achieving some number or getting to the top of the mountain or getting to Antigua in our case, because we will get there. But enjoy the journey and, and recognize that this is what you signed up for. And if you don't want to do it, then go do something else. But this is what you signed up for. So enjoy it. Recognize that sometimes <clears throat> the pain is, is, is part of it and you will learn from that. And, and for me, it's the culture that, that, work, that cuts both ways. You know, I've been fortunate enough to be involved in some great brands and, and to have led some fantastic turnarounds. Well, I didn't do it, the team did it. All I did was create that vision of success, create the culture, or give people the opportunity to create the culture of trust and honesty and openness where they know that they can contribute and then frankly step back and let them get on with it. Welcome to the Connected Leadership Podcast. I'm Andy Lapata. Thank you very much for joining me. Uh, we have a returning visitor uh, again for this week's podcast. And my visitor, my guest today, is someone whose original podcast, uh, fully 19 months ago, September of 2020, is the last time I checked the most popular, most downloaded, most listened to podcast in the year, two years or so that we've been running. Uh, he's a very popular guest. I've interviewed him again since for, for a private group. Uh, always provides great insights and uh, excellent advice and has a very strong uh, career in business behind him to draw on. And the reason he's back is he's got a new book that he's going to tell us all about. Um, so my guest is Kevin Gaskell. Uh, Kevin is a serial entrepreneur, he's an author and an adventurer and he's recognised as one of the world's foremost leadership experts and he's responsible for transforming three of the most iconic international brands, Porsche, BMW and in the UK Lamborghini. Uh, and when Kevin was on the podcast last time, that was really the core of our focus, all the lessons uh, from, from that business career, particularly with Porsche and BMW. Uh, but he's enjoyed three decades of success as a business leader. He's founded startups, driven turnarounds, uh, and he's worked with leading major brands in, in a variety of sectors. But the focus today is slightly different. Uh, in addition to his business achievements, Kevin has played international cricket, he's climbed some of the world's highest mountains, and he's walked to both poles. And shortly before we talked on the podcast last time, he was a member of a crew who set a new world record for the fastest row across the Atlantic Ocean. And in a couple of years, Kevin's going to attempt to set a new world record for rowing across the Pacific. And that's the focus for today. Kevin's got a new book out called Catching Giants. And it's the story of that record-breaking row across the Atlantic, but looking at it from a perspective of, well, what can we learn from that experience uh, and apply to business? Uh, and, and so we're, we're taking the spirit of the book to, for the theme of the podcast. Uh, can a small business really compete with the biggest business giants? Because Kevin and his, his colleagues on his team conquered the might of the Atlantic and also broke a world record where uh, I'll ask Kevin about this. I'm sure, um, you know, previous record holders would have been more experienced rowers uh, and, and obviously battling against people who wanted to do the same thing. So this proves to be another interesting and enjoyable conversation. Kevin, thank you very much for joining me. And it's great to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Well, the the, uh, the invitations to return are rare. 
Um, so you can take that as an honour and I'm sure many people will be looking forward to hearing uh, more from you again. We touched on your Atlantic Row briefly at the end of uh, the last uh, conversation we had here. So I'm looking forward to going into more depth today. Let, let's start with why you did this. I mean, obviously, you, you're you not just someone who's got a great track record in business. This didn't come out of the blue. You'd already been an international sportsman. You'd climbed uh, mountains. You'd walked both poles. So adventure is in your blood. It's something that you, you thoroughly enjoy. Um, where did this particular challenge come from? Um, had you did you have experience of of long distance rowing or any rowing at all before? Um, <laughs> I never rowed at all. What was the inspiration for it? You'd never no, rowed no, at all. Well, where does that all. come from? <laughs> so, uh, to tell you the truth, it came from a guy um, by the name of Peter Van Ketz, and Peter. I had, know Peter. Yeah. Right. Well, Peter's twice rowed the uh, Atlantic, and Peter and I were in a meeting together in South Africa. And um, he said, Kev, I've just rode the Atlantic. It was great fun. You'd love it. You should do it. And I said, Peter, you're mad. I don't know anything about water. I don't know anything about rowing. You just forget it. I mean, I couldn't think of anything more horrific. And then I was speaking at a conference in Monaco, actually, to a, a marine audience, a bunch of marine entrepreneurs. And, and they asked me, because when I talk about leadership, I use some of the adventure stories and some of the adventure pictures to demonstrate a business point. Usually it was soft soft uh, subjects like trust and honesty you know is that rope secure there's there's no point not being honest it either is or it isn't you know there's no maybe so i was speaking about what about leadership and somebody asked me from the audience what's your next adventure and i really didn't have one planned so thinking on the spot i said well i've just been to a friend of mine who said i should row the atlantic anybody want to come with me and 400 people laughed and we forgot all about it and then after the uh, after the event, I was having a drink with the audience, and one guy came up and he said, "Were you serious?" And I said, "No." He said, "Well, I'd love to do it, and I'd do it with you if you wanted to do it." And I said, "Let me think about it." And I went away, and he stayed in touch, and we chatted it back and forth. And I thought, you know what? I've done mountains, I've done poles, I've done overland. What's left? Well, let's go and do something on water. And so that's where the dream was born. I'm going to come. I'm going to come back to this person from the audience in a moment. But you've got to be careful of audiences. I, <laughs> I remember giving a talk in Sweden a few years ago, and I'd spoken for this 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 organisation before, and I, I knew a few of the people that were going to be there, and they were having a drink um, after work the evening when I'd just arrived the night before, and I'd settled into my hotel, and they said, "Come and join us," and when I joined them, they were all drinking champagne at the end of the day and planning the Stockholm triathlon. Uh, They were all getting involved in it. And uh, one of them turned around to me and said, "Uh, are you going to join us, Andy? And I said, maybe. Again, not meaning it. And he looked at me and he said, is that what you're going to do tomorrow? You're going to stand on stage and say, just say maybe. And I was like, you sod. (laughs) You've absolutely suckered me into it. So it sounds sounds like the same happened to you. Um, Well, you, you say someone came, you know, from the audience came up to you and talked to you, and obviously you, you talked over a period of time. Um, when you're going to attempt something of that nature, getting the right team together is, is so important, I'm sure. And, and to, to have someone who you hadn't previously met before come and be the first core member of that team is obviously a risk. Uh, did he have experience rowing himself? Uh, how did you 
what did it take for you to, to determine, yes, I'm comfortable, you mentioned trust earlier, I'm comfortable having this person on my team. Uh, and, and then where did you go from there in terms of building the right balance of the team, bringing in experience and skills that you needed, but also the right attitude and ensuring you had the, the chemistry in the group as well? So, so the guy who made that uh, comment was called Will Hollingshead. And Will said, look, I'd love to do it with you. And then over the course of the conversation, he said, oh, and I've got two mates who'd like to do it as well. Mm-hmm. So this conversation was ongoing. And I said to my son, and, and my son and I have done the polls together and we've climbed mountains together. So Matt's usually the person who I do these things with. And I said to Matt, listen, do you fancy rowing the Atlantic? And he said, no. I said, no, no, <laughs> think about that again. Do you fancy rowing the Atlantic? He said, no. I said, why? He said, well, it's pain, pain and more pain and then you die. I said, well, let's try and take a bit more positive outlook than that. He said, no, I don't want to do it. So I said, okay, so you're out. And typically, the crews for this thing are four-man. And so I I met Will, and then he brought along his two friends. Now, they are, all of them, experienced super yacht crew. Now, you don't row a super yacht, but they'd they'd all been dinghy sailors, and they'd been water sports sports. coaches so they had an affinity with the water but none of them had ever rowed anything seriously and so i announced it on social media that i'd met these guys that i'd I'd got comfortable with them over a number of interviews we'd interviewed each other i mean i'm twice their age so i was saying to them listen you know you want me to come why well we we know we'd never get it together was their was their comment We, we need somebody who understands how to put an expedition together um but we'll bring the energy and the enthusiasm and so i thought you know what, we should do this thing. And and I like these guys and they're, they're fit and they're strong and they're young and they really want to do it. Uh, so I put it on social media and about two minutes later, my phone rang and it was my son who said, what's this then? And I said, well, we're going to row the Atlantic. He said, what about me? I said, Matt, I've been asking you and asking you. I said, he said, well, I want to come now. I said, well, I can't throw somebody out of the team. So we checked the rules and there's a five-man category. Um, which we hadn't even looked at, and there's a five-man race. So I said, okay, we'll step up. We're now five men. And, of course, the relationship between us at that point is still very fresh and very new, but I could tell over the weeks that we'd got to know each other that they were strong players and that they were really motivated to do this. Um, And I knew it was going to be a shock for them, but I knew it was going to be a shock for me as well because you know we were planning for up to two months at sea in in a 20-foot rowing boat there's nowhere to go there's nowhere to hide if the chemistry on the boat is a problem you've got a real problem because there's just no privacy so we carefully selected each other is the truth of it so would you say that you know when you're putting something like that together and this could be equally applicable for for a business project which is the point of 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 using this as an analogy with with the podcast um would you say that your chemistry your connection with people uh, and your gut feeling that they're going to be able to do this is more important than paper qualifications very often oh absolutely absolutely can you get on together is is going to be the, the 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 key factor in actually getting across the ocean safely i mean a lot can happen out there you, you know you're in a hundred million square miles of water and there's no support vessel. Nobody's going to come and get us quickly if it goes wrong. We're on our own. We're very much on our own. And so 
that chemistry is critical. And, and it's not just chemistry, you know, can we have a laugh together? But can we pull together if things go wrong? Because things are going to go wrong. You know now. You're going to try and row across the Atlantic. Things are going to go wrong. So you need to know that people stay calm, that people will um, accept the responsibility for sorting out what's gone wrong. And yeah, it's a very critical part of it. That relationship is fundamental. And, and, and honestly, in terms of our success, that was the biggest factor. Apart from the organization and other things I can talk about, about how we rode efficiently, the relationship was the biggest factor. I just want to take a step back um, for a second because you talked about Matt originally saying no and you, you asked him from the sound of it three times and he was very clear to say no. When you want to empower someone in an organisation to take something forward, what's the right balance between encouraging them to stretch their uh, boundaries and, and try something that they might not initially be comfortable with and listening to them if they don't feel it's right and as in the case with Matt letting them come back at the time which is right for them yeah I, I think it's a critical factor people have to convince themselves that the task whatever the task is is achievable and you know I approach this whole project as a businessman and whenever I'm rebuilding fixing companies my first task is to convince the team to believe that the task, the goal is achievable. And in business, I don't talk about, you know, going out and achieving so many pounds of return or so much market penetration. I talk about creating something extraordinary. And that's the difference. Once you convince people that you can create something extraordinary because of their skills and our ability as a team, then people buy in. Whereas if I just throw a target at, hey, we've got to make 100 million pounds of profit next year, people just switch off. It does not engage the emotion mus muscle, you know. So enabling people to have the freedom of choice is key. But then they have to step up and say, yes, I can do this. Yes, I want to be part of this. As with Matt, I mean, Matt's an extraordinary guy. He's stronger than me, fitter than me, smarter than me, more capable than me. But he was seriously nervous about the danger of setting out to row across the Atlantic and he had to go away and convince himself but once he convinced himself you know there he was front and center let's make this happen yeah yeah and that would be my assumption from 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 how you describe him or what you say is that once he's bought in that nervousness goes away and he's fully bought in and almost leading the project yeah absolutely yeah he he, he took the role of quartermaster um, and, and boat manager which you know is big responsibility what goes into the boat and, and every yeah. every gram of weight that we put into that boat is something we have to row so it's a very very um, difficult balancing act to make sure the boat is appropriately equipped but not so heavy that we're carrying stuff we don't need so, so now we that that takes us on to the next question which you know you've brought together this team of raw enthusiasts people who have got the spirit and the motivation the desire to succeed in this but haven't rode before or haven't got the experience necessary what did you do to identify the gaps in your knowledge collectively and individually and and the skill sets that you needed and what did you do to address them because obviously you've got your five-man team so you can't bring those skills onto the actual rowing team so did you have a support team around you in the preparation and 
what what role did they play in ensuring that you were fully equipped to move forward? Well, we 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 break the project down into different stages. Um, you know, the, the first is fitness. Um, it's going to take a lot out of you. you know, you're burning seven thousand calories a day. You're rowing for twelve hours every day, two hours on, two hours off every day, and you never sleep for more than about an hour and ten minutes in between. So the first thing is about physical fitness and fortunately one of the one of the guys um, Sam Coxon uh, is, a, is a personal trainer and so it was Sam's job to build and develop for us uh, a personal training program and you know it was it was severe we trained for two years um, and there was a lot of uh, cardio so a lot of running cycling uh, rowing as you can imagine um, but also a lot of weights so we lifted between us over the training period uh, to put it in context, we lifted the equivalent of a Royal Navy cruiser in weight over that period of time. So we were we were weight training uh, three, four times a week, um, and and then of course you've got the the rowing skills. So Matt was the only one who'd done some rowing. He'd done rowing at university, so he was able to pass on some of the skills to us. Um, and then beyond that, you've got a whole set of other skills needed and, and qualifications necessary. You know, strangely enough, the Coast Guard doesn't let you just throw a boat in the water and set off. They want to know that you've got a chance of not calling out the emergency services six hours later. And so we had to um, train in sea survival, navigation, radio use, and a whole bunch of, of RYA, Royal Yachting Association courses, that we had to pass before we're even allowed to to enter the race. So it's very stringently controlled. And there was a whole training program that ran over the over the eighteen months running up to the up to the race. Um, so we brought in specialists for each of those areas. And then for the race itself, the specialist we brought in was a weather router. So we had a shore based weather router who we would speak to each day who would give us a very precise weather forecast. And it was spooky how accurate he was, absolutely amazing. Uh, but he's a specialist marine traffic weather router. So he would um, suggest which way we should row in order to pick up the favorable uh, water movement, water currents and, and the wind. So put a whole team of people around us. And were you... What sort of time were you putting into this? Were you uh, running your business alongside? How many hours a week were you each putting into it? Well, yes, I, I didn't step away from the business at all. So I would train, and I still do, about two hours each day. So first thing in the morning is my training time. So you try and get me in a meeting. If, if you want to speak to me before 9.30 in the morning, you'll be very unpopular because... I don't get up at four o'clock. I, I, I get up and I train and I shower and I have my breakfast. I'm ready by 9.30 or 10. And that's how my day works. But I finish at 10 o'clock at night because that's just, that's what I like to do. Um, but I, we would train each day and we kept logs, which we would file centrally. So we, we each had to be responsible to the others that, you know, you can lie, you can write nonsense in your log, but who are you kidding? Because at the weekend, from Friday through Sunday, we would take the boat out into the ocean around the UK and we would row. And you'd very quickly see if somebody was um, was not being truthful. But, you know, these are four very fit lads. Um, they, they were all uh, keen sportsmen. And, and frankly, my job was to try and keep up with them. 
And, and in terms of all the studying, all the courses, what was the time investment for that? Oh, that, well, that was, yeah, that was quite extreme as well because you have to attend the courses um, and read the books and study at home and online coursework. So you're talking, oh, for over the 18 months, I don't know how many hours, but you're talking 10 to 12 hours a week of studying. Um, and again, a couple of the a couple of the crew members were fortunate in that they already held those qualifications. But for me and Matt and one or two of the others, it was it was a lot of studying. Yeah. There's a reason I'm asking you this question um, because again, coming back to what we can learn from your experience in terms of business, one of the the, the biggest challenges that I find that people share with me in terms of the work I do with them is finding time, finding time to do the what some might seem see as the peripheral things, the non-technical, non-project work that really uh, drives your career forward or your business forward. But you guys, I mean, I know you've got a very busy and successful business. I'm assuming the other guys have jobs or businesses that they all had to maintain, but you're finding an extra 10 hours a week for the courses, an extra two hours a day for training and so forth. What's your attitude when, when you're looking at finding time for things that aren't core um, to, to the, the delivery of your work? Well, I, I would distinguish between core and priority. What do you actually want to achieve? And one of the things in the book is a, a photograph of, um, of Chris uh, rowing in the engine house of a super yacht. That's the only place he could get space to row, so that's where he rowed. Um, and what again it boils down to your own priorities you know how, how what do you want to achieve in your career or in your life and for me this stuff is a priority this is how i get my break from work i mean I, today i'm chairman or, or on the board of seven companies so i'm very very busy i work long days and i work many weekends but because i love what i do i don't see it as stressful I, I enjoy what I do and I've just said you know I start work at 9 30 10 in the morning and I, I try to walk away from the desk at 10 o'clock at night and I do that every day and and that's not you know some people say you're a workaholic well I enjoy what I do and, and in between and outside those hours I will go and do my training for other things that I consider to be priorities um, you know I play in a rock band we rehearse that for me is a priority I don't want to stand on stage and look an idiot with a guitar in my hand so we rehearse and it's about prioritizing and planning to achieve what you want to achieve well, there's a lot of things I don't do I don't watch TV um, I don't play golf uh, I don't go to the pub I, I just they're just not things that are priorities to me and you know what a lot of people do and good luck to them that's that's what they enjoy it's just not my it's not they're not in my priority list so basically, if you if you want to achieve it, you'll find the time. If it's yeah, important exactly. enough to you, if, if it's on your priority list, then you'll find the time to do it. And if you don't find the time, then don't kid yourself; it's not on your priority list. You know, in, in my first book, Inspired Leadership, I talk about commit. Are you committed to do this thing? Whatever this thing is, are you committed to it? And if you are, then commit. And if you don't commit, then don't bother. Go do something else that you are committed to, but don't play, don't mess about. Either do it or don't do it. Don't play around in the middle. That's, that's just how I approach it. Have you subscribed to the Connected Leadership Podcast yet to make sure that you never miss an episode? 
For more resources from Andy, including a regular tips newsletter, videos, blogs, and more podcasts, please visit andylapata.com forward slash insights. You've talked a lot about the race. So Mm. let's just understand what was involved with that. Was it a race against other boats at the same time or was it a race against the clock? Um, it was both. So there were 36 boats in the in the race um, and, and they ranged from five-man, four-man, three-man, two-man and solo. So there's 36 boats and we all set off from La Gomera in Spain over a period of about three hours, I guess. Um, and your time starts as you cross that start line. So effectively, you are racing other boats, um, but your real race is against the clock. And so we are timed from crossing the start line to crossing the finish line. And most people seem to think that, you know, you're all waving at each other as you go across the ocean. After an hour out of La Gomera, we didn't see another boat. I mean, these boats sit half a meter above the water. And even on a relatively calm day, a swell is at least a meter. So you can't see more than, you know, a couple of miles. We don't we don't have a, a 20 mile horizon. Um, so we don't see anybody. Uh, so you're very much on your own. We saw a few um, large uh, commercial ships, some traffic. I think we saw five on the whole crossing. And you kind of keep your eyes on them because, you know, we're a 20 foot plastic rowing boat with no radar signature. So they will run you over. They don't see you. Um, so we were cautious of them but a a typical day is that you are rowing for two hours on and two hours off and where we made the difference I believe in our performance was in the organization of the boat we were really very organized Um, we 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 found ways to do things quicker and faster than we knew other crews were because we'd watch them and, and, you know, it's the old pit crew thing with Formula One. They do it in two seconds. How the heck they do it in two seconds? I don't know. Well, we were changing over rowers in 10 seconds, whereas we know other crews were taking a couple of minutes and having a chat. And, well, you add up two minutes times 12 changes is 24 minutes a day and, and work that out over 60 days. And that's a lot of miles not rowed. And so we were very precise about how we ran the boat. And, and you know, coming back to your point earlier about... Um, did we stop and watch the marine life? Um, no, because we didn't actually see that much. We saw a couple of whales, um, but fleeting. They, they came and they went. Um, but our first break, the first time we gave ourselves a break, we started on December the 12th, and the first break we took from rowing was on the 31st of December when we gave ourselves half an hour off. So it was absolute flat out for whatever that is, 18, 19 days without without a break no break at all just get your head down for an hour and sleep eat toilet wash do the jobs around the boat get back on rowing i i, I want to dig a bit more deeply into that i do want to come back to the the, the race itself in a moment um but obviously there's a lot of people in, in the world we both populate of, of conferences and speakers we're both here a lot of people talking about being in the moment uh, and and obviously being out that far away from any civilization in the middle of the atlantic is an amazing moment to to be in how do you how do you get that balance between being able to experience and appreciate 
where you are i was going to say once in a lifetime moment but you're about to go and row the pacific in a couple of years so maybe not quite once in a lifetime um but a rare experience um uh, and balance that with achieving your objectives and as you say being head down focused no breaks yeah a lot of it came down to the culture on the boat i mean we had spoken about this before we started we talked about how we wanted to perform we'd agreed whether this was arrogance or stupidity, that our objective was to break the world record. Now, if, if you'd asked me before I started, before, as I got into the boat in La Gomera, did I think we'd break the world record? The answer was no. I didn't think for a minute we would. But I was prepared to give it everything I'd got to try to do so. And so the, the culture on the boat was positive. The, the, the buzzwords we used were be kind. We all had bad days. Everyone has a bad day. And, you know, when you're very cold and very wet and you you can be very frightened by four and five meter swells coming at you you know you're half a meter off the off the water here and these waves can be washing across the boat and we knew other boats had capsized and and you know all kinds of things had happened but we were determined not to let that get to us so even on a bad day i mean we did have a day where we turned the boat upside down which is a bit of a shock we got hit on the side by a very big wave and it flipped the boat over. And I was rowing together with Matt, my son, and Sam. And we just got thrown out of the boat. I mean, not tipped out, thrown out to the end of our tether. We're tethered to the boat, and then we're, we're in the water. And we worked to get the boat back the right way up and, and climb back on board. And then we just laughed. What are you going to do? There's no point getting upset about it. We just laughed about it because here we are. We've just that was Well, that was an experience. That was an interesting half an hour, wasn't it? but the boat's the right way up, we're back in it, no damage done, right, let's get going. And even when we had some really bad weather, where, to give you an idea, the rain was so harsh that we put our swimming goggles on because we couldn't open our eyes. It was that harsh. We couldn't see where we were going, couldn't see where we'd been. Um, we just laughed at it. You just have to turn it into something to overcome. There's no point in getting depressed about it. There's no point in getting upset. You're not going to change it. There's nowhere to go. There's nowhere to hide. So, you know, even in the cabin, the cabins are wet through. Um, your bedding is wet through. You are wet through. I mean, this was pretty uncomfortable. I tried sleeping at night in my waterproofs, thinking it might be a bit more comfortable, but it wasn't. Um, so it's the culture on the boat where everybody has been selected for their ability to park the difficulties and focus on what we're doing and I, I think our toughest two days were rowing into a headwind where we're normally rowing at about two and a half to three knots that's 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 a good good speed and then we would g ourselves on by racing against ourselves so we see who who could get up to the the highest top speed so you know for two minutes we'd row like the clappers and and at one point with a wind behind us and going downhill kind of thing you know we got up to six or seven knots but we're just using that as a game to just keep the average pace of the boat up. But our most difficult day was rowing into a headwind when in the whole day, 24 hours of rowing, we covered two miles. Now, you can get fed up of that. You know, on a good day, we were covering 100 miles. We did two miles. Now, you can get fed up and you can let it play with your head. But as Will said afterwards, he said, you know what, I'm so proud of this crew. He said, we've rowed for two days brutal brutal rowing into strong winds 
and everybody has given everything and not one word of complaint. Not one. Why do you complain? You've chosen to be there. What's to complain about? Nobody forced me to get on a rowing boat. So it was that culture that we built that we're going to go at this and we're, we're going to, we said, be kind with each other, but we're going to give it everything we've got. It's the same in business. Uh, you know, when I, when I fix a business, the first thing I focus on is resetting the culture. And you can do it with some physical ways. Um, you know, the classical thing I've done in one business was take off all the security. It, it was a building where staff were only allowed to go into certain areas and departments and their, their pass only got them into certain areas. I said, hang on, we're one team. So the first thing I did was take off all the security. You can go wherever you like. By the way, my office is over here. Yeah, I know it says CEO on the door, but it doesn't matter. You want to talk to me, come and talk to me. And you just start you know, sending smoke signals to people that you need to change. We need to change. So creating a culture where we're one team, where we're working together, where we're actually all giving of our best and we're not complaining about it, that's what makes the difference. Did, did you have moments where, you know, despite all the best intentions um, there, you had um, someone who did have a mini meltdown or got grumpy and complaining or whatever it might be. Um, and if you did, how quickly did the team respond to pull them out of it? How easy was it to do that with the culture that you had? Yeah, we had a, we had a couple of moments. I mean, we didn't have any angry words in the whole crossing, but we had a couple of moments where people were obviously cheesed off. And what we'd said in planning for that kind of um, situation was, you know, we, we have a release word. You know, if I say, I just need a bit of time to myself, then just leave me alone. Just leave me alone. Let me let me have some time to myself. Now, time to yourself is relative on a 20 foot boat with five blokes because you're never more than four foot away from somebody else. But still, just leave me alone for a short while. And it, it did work. Um, there was one situation where somebody said something I thought was inappropriate and I remember suggesting to them that that was an inappropriate statement I said it a bit more aggressively than that and we were rowing together and then I kept my mouth shut for 15 minutes and he realized that I was not impressed and so we spent the next 20 minutes coaching each other on what I'd said and what he'd said and what he'd said and what I'd said and we came out of it stronger we came out of it saying okay I didn't realize you felt like that um, I get it and I didn't mean that and so we actually had a grown-up conversation. Instead of, you know, if we had somewhere to go away from each other, we would have done so. But there's nowhere to go, so you've got to sort it out. Um, but, you know, you've also got to remember that with no sleep over 30-odd days, you do go a bit nuts. And, and by the middle of the Atlantic, we'd all gone a bit barking mad. Um, we were hallucinating. So I was absolutely convinced that my daughter was on the boat with me and I was talking to her. Of course she wasn't. But I was talking to her, and Will said to me, are you talking to Kev? I said, well, I'm talking to Sarah. Here she is next to me. And I remember him saying, oh, yeah, okay, of course. I'm talking complete nonsense. Um, so so you do have to make allowances for the, the fact that people do they go a bit skitty um, in, in that situation. But, you know, again, come back to the thing about the privilege of being on that boat in that situation something that you rarely get an opportunity to do. And you're going to react to it one of two ways. You know, there's a lot of people who row an ocean say, never, ever, ever again, if you ever, you know, don't ever suggest it. And you get people like me who get off and after two weeks think, I just love that. I just want to do that again. 
such a special experience. You know, if you can imagine being in the middle of the Atlantic, there is no light pollution. I mean, no, we turn our navigation lights off because with the navigation lights on, we can't see anywhere. So we're, we're, we're in a pitch black boat and the stars, oh, Andy, the stars, like you've never seen before, just phenomenal. And, um, you know, watching the space station come over, which it, it did a, a number of times and realizing that they're the closest people in the world to us. They're 250 miles away <laughs> up there. They're the closest people in the world to us right now. And and then we saw a moon bow, you know, so bright full moon and and there was some rain and there was a moon bow. I mean, it's just an extraordinary wow. experience. So it was very beautiful. And, um, you know, you, you've got to turn your mind to those aspects of it. And, and those are some of the lessons that I brought back to put in the book about when you're in the moment, you know, when you're fighting a battle, take pride in in the progress and, and actually enjoy the fight. Enjoy the battle. Because pain is temporary. You know, it's just temporary. But delivery and success is forever. So, again, it comes down to being in the moment and, and managing your own perception of what's going on around you and, and enjoying it, taking it for what it is, enjoying every moment of it. I, I, I think that's uh, such an important story and great way of, uh, of putting that point across. Um, every business, every career has its its ups and downs and its challenges if you're not being challenged then you're not stretching yourself and that's going to cause those frustrations and that ability you talk about to get off the boat at the end of the trip and not worry about those moments when you were hallucinating or where you thought you were going to capsize or you did capsize or where you thought you wouldn't make it but look at the overall experience um, is very applicable to business indeed yeah and, and you know, I've, I've, I, I tend to get called into businesses frequently when they're in trouble. And 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 I say to people at the beginning, I say, look, you know, the next hundred days and then thousand days, because I, I use a hundred days to stabilise the company, and then a thousand days to build something extraordinary. And I say to people, let's be honest, it's going to be hard work. There are going to be difficult moments, but we're going to be great. We're going to be successful. So. Approach this as a challenge. Don't approach it as something to be afraid of. Approach it as a challenge. I took over a business four years ago, and we were on the edge edge of bankruptcy. It was a communications business. Uh, and we're on the edge of, of failure. And it was the investors who asked me to go in and have a look. And within 100 days, we got the thing stable. And here we are now, 1,000 days later, and we're one of the leading companies in the UK. We've just had £100 million invested in us by uh, an institutional investor, and we're growing. We've grown that business. Um, how many percent? Uh, well, we've grown it 40x, 4,000 percent in the last thousand, just over a thousand days. And at the beginning, people were telling me it was impossible. I said, it's not impossible. It's not impossible. I don't quite know how to do it just yet. I don't walk in with a magic wand and all the answers, but we have an approach. So let's work together as a team. Let's, let's trust each other. And let's be kind to each other shouting and screaming doesn't fix businesses and then let's go and build something extraordinary and so that's why in the book you know i on the one side of the page i, I tell the story about the adventure and i share some of the gruesome detail of well this is what it's really like 
And then on the other page, the next page along, I'm saying, and this is what it means for business. This is how you take these lessons and apply them to your business. You want to build something truly extraordinary, you can do that. And here are, in the book, there are 80 business lessons on how to do that. So I'm trying to give people something that they enjoy reading because they see these idiots trying to starve and drown themselves out in the ocean. Um, and then they, they say, okay, yeah, I get, I get the lesson from it. Here's the lesson. Yeah, I can use that in my business. So I'm trying to make it very practical, very applicable to a company of any size. It doesn't matter what size. Yeah. We'll, we'll finish off with with a few of those tips and just a few suggestions around it. But before we do, still on the theme of, of lessons for business, you talk about setting 100-day and 1,000-day goals. You talk about... Um, getting people to buy into achieving something amazing. Uh, and if we uh, we compare that to the roads, you know, we're going to break a world record. We're going to get to our destination at the other end of the, the other side of the Atlantic. What's the, uh, it's another what's the balance question. I'm good at those. What's the balance between um, keeping your eye focused on what you're trying to achieve being aware of the destination and whatever happens on the way is a journey to you know that that magnificent outcome or really being again being in the moment and enjoying and learning from the journey along the way so that you sort of don't get to your destination look back and think i missed all of that yeah i mean uh, I'll, I'll i'll respond in the same way you asked the question it is a balance you know th there are priorities that need to be done um, on the boat or, or in a business these things just need to be done um, and you know we the discipline we had on the boat was a was a key part of the success you we change over rower at two o'clock or whatever the hour was and that means when chris's watch pips because he had a watch that pipped which drove us all mad but it did when chris's watch pips two o'clock it means you're in the seat and you're rowing it doesn't mean you're scratching your head and getting out of your out of your cabin. You know, it was at two o'clock. You're rowing, and we 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 drove that discipline all the way across the ocean. And we know because we spoke to other crews afterwards that they were complaining about uh, their rowers being ten minutes late, fifteen minutes late. Well, we wouldn't have stood for that one day, not not one changeover. Um, you know, if you were thirty seconds late on our boat, it was a big issue. So we were very focused on the discipline. But outside of that. We did use the time. I would spend the time if I wasn't rowing. I can't sleep all the time, but I'd, st I'd stand at the, uh, at the front of the boat, the bow of the boat, looking forwards, looking at the, the, the ocean, just absorbing it. You know, this wonderful vista of endless sea and, and hopeful, me hopeful of seeing some interesting wildlife. And in business, it's the same. You know, you've got to get the basics done. They've got to be done. But outside of that, you know, let's be friends. Let's let's show respect to each other. Let's have a laugh. One of my happiest memories at Porsche was um, we had a wonderful canteen and I'd go in there and I'd sit with different and laughing, just laughing. And we were in the depths of a battle. I mean, we were fighting for our lives, but you've got to laugh. You've still got to laugh about things. So it is trying to maintain that balance. I love the positivity that comes through and the, the sheer need to enjoy. You've talked about the hours you put in. 
Um, but as you said, if you enjoy it, it's not work. Uh, and it's easy to, to, to do that and invest in that. Uh, and that's clearly the culture that you go for in, in whatever you do. So your positioning for the book that I'll introduce at the start of the podcast um, and made the theme of the podcast is how smaller businesses can compete with, with the big boys. Um, you've been involved in both. You've led companies like Porsche and BMW. You've, you've uh, led startups as well. What's the connection specifically between your adventure and that statement that that competition between you know from the perspective of a smaller uh, entity against the giants uh, and, and what are the sort of key lessons that you'd leave people with with that in mind the key lessons are believing from the beginning being committed to achieving an extraordinary result that's the first part the second part is making sure everybody who's involved in the challenge whatever the challenge is understands the part they play and and to make that very clear and that communication is open and it's transparent and honest and that is a critical part of developing a strong team and it's the team who will build a great business or who will win a race and then the third part is what i call the creation of magic when, when we've got a culture where we do trust each other where we know everybody is giving 105 percent to make this thing work we can laugh together, we can enjoy each other's company, we can have fun. So the lessons translate both ways. And, and I say to people, look, enjoy the journey. Don't forever be worrying about achieving some number or getting to the top of the mountain or getting to Antigua in our case, because we will get there. But enjoy the journey and, and recognize that this is what you signed up for. And if you don't want to do it, then go do something else. But this is what you signed up for, so enjoy it recognize that sometimes <clears throat> the pain is 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 part of it and you will learn from that and and for me it's the culture that that work, that cuts both ways and, you know i've been fortunate enough to be involved in some great brands and and to have led some fantastic turnarounds well i didn't do it the team did it all i did was create that vision of success create the culture or give people the opportunity to create the culture of trust and honesty and openness where they know that they can contribute and then frankly step back and let them get on with it. Except for the row, I couldn't step back. I had to get on the row and pull, pull on the horse as well. But it's a team effort. It's always a team effort. I was going to say, you might be leading the team, but you're part of it as well. You're part of the uh, team. So it's a core, core part of it. Uh, Kevin, uh, I'm looking forward to reading the book. I always enjoy our conversations. Uh, best of luck with the book. Best of the luck in uh, uh, 2024 as well uh, with the, the Pacific Row. Um, and, well, I look forward to hearing all about that as well. Great to have you back on the Connected Leadership Podcast. Thanks, Andy. So thank you very much to Kevin for joining me. I hope that uh, you found that uh, really inspiring and illuminating, some great insights not just into the row. I had some questions ready for the end to bring this in line with business, but Kevin peppered his responses with lots of business tips throughout. Um, I think probably the biggest thing that stands out for me is the culture that he's created and this positivity, uh, this understanding that people have bad days and the way that you deal with it. Uh, that loan time that Kevin talked about reminded me of a guest last year, Paul McGee, uh, talks about hippo time. 
uh, and the you know the need to wallow sometimes, um, but then you get back on with it. And I think there's a very similar sentiment from Kevin. So I hope you enjoyed that. If you have, uh, please share it. Please uh, post a rating, a review. Let other people find it as well. And thank you for joining me. I will see you again soon on the Connected Leadership Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Connected Leadership Podcast. If you found this valuable, please subscribe, tell your colleagues and friends, share on social media, and post a review on the podcast channel you use to listen to it. And of course, join us again soon for another interesting interview and great Connected Leadership tips.